All right. Are you excited to open up the Word of God this morning? All right. Okay. Have you ever wondered, have you ever wondered how some people have incredibly productive lives? How some people, uh, you know, they're able to achieve so much and do so much with their lives. And some people don't do very much at all. Have you ever wondered what that is? What makes the difference? Okay, because you know what, Pastor Joy last week, she preached on productivity. She preached out of uh, uh, the parable of the talents. And if you want to turn quickly there to Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19 and verse 12, this message, this passage here is all about productivity. And if you remember last week, I know many of you touched by that message and challenged by that. So I just want to pick up that theme today. On what makes a productive life. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 12 it says, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten miners, and said unto them, Hang out and enjoy what I've given you until I come. Hello? Hello? Were you guys reading? All right. That's not what he said. He didn't say, hang out, enjoy what I've given you, and wait around until I come. He said, do business till I come. Do business till I come. Get busy and produce something when I come. And so the king went off, the nobleman went off, and uh, then he came back and he returned, and it was a day of accounting. And he came to the first, the first servant came back saying, Master, your miner has earned ten miners. And he said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful and very little have authority over ten cities. And the second came to him, master, your miner earned five. And likewise, he said to him, you also be ruler over five cities. And then another came to him, master, here is your miner. Here is your talent or whatever. This, this is what I gave you, which, you, uh, which uh, you gave me. I kept it and I put it away in a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an aristocrat austere or a hard man you collect where you did not deposit and reap what you didn't say and the servant got a rebuke okay he said out of your own mouth i will judge you you wicked servant okay why didn't you put the money to the bank that i, I uh, could have had my interest when i came back you see out of this parable there's some clear messages okay first of all is that god gives us gifts talents and he expects us to put those to use he expects us to be productive and then you know what he evaluates our productivity and then he rewards our productivity now all of us how many of you would want to be servant one or two huh come on put your hand up if you want to be servant one or two all right how many of you would want to be servant three of course none of us want to be that servant three who gets the rebuke Right, so we're vitally interested in productivity ourselves. Okay, we're very conscious of productivity in, in, uh, in this land. You see, we measure the productivity of everything. If I asked Bryden here, who's a, uh, manages a, a great group of uh, organic orchards, if I asked Bryden what the productivity of his orchards were, he'd be able to take me around each block and show me and say, this block produced this, this many tricarton equivalents. This block produced this many. I got this much money for this block here. If I went to Rodney, who's a pastoral farmer, and I said, Rodney, tell me about your production, he'd be able to tell me the cash units. He'd be able to tell me the production, the meat production of these. He'd be able to tell me how much feed was in these areas. You see, we measure 
the productivity of our orchards, of our land. We measure the, uh, the productivity of our factories and our businesses. We're interested in productivity, but the most important productivity of all that we need to be interested in is the productivity of our own lives. Amen? You see, we need to be interested in what makes our lives productive. So this morning, I'm going to give you five quick keys on what makes a productive life. So let's start with the first one here. I want you to turn quickly with me to Psalm 92. Psalm 92 and verse 13 to 14. What is it that, what does it take to make a productive life? And Psalm 92, 13 to 14, it says, Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. Say planted. Planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit in our old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. If you want a productive life, you need to be planted in the house of God. That means you mean, it means we've found a permanent place, a permanent church home, a place where we're committed to, a place where we belong. If you want a productive life, that's no use wandering from church to church. You've got to find a home base where you say, this is where I belong. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, this is the church that I belong. I've been in this church now for 14, 15 years, and I know without a shadow of doubt, this is where I belong. This is the church that I'm planted in. I don't think for one minute of moving to another church if someone upsets me and stands on my toes, as they do, okay? I don't think of getting in a snitcher and moving down to the next church. You know what? I'm planted in this place. I'm not moving from this place. You know what I'm saying? All right, now let me say, there's three types of Christian I've observed. There's three types of Christian. The first type is the the pot plant Christians. Okay, the pot plant Christians, okay, they're in the house, but they're never part of the house. They move about from place to place. They look the part, but they're not a part of the house. They never fully commit, and because they never fully commit, they never grow to their full potential. They're always dependent on someone else watering them, someone else feeding them. And I tell you, if you're a pot plant in my house... You're in real trouble, okay? <laughs> I'm not much of a gardener or a, or a feeder of pot plants. You know what? Pot plant Christians will never grow beyond the limitations of the container they're in. You don't want to be a pot plant Christian. You'll know you're a pot plant Christian if, okay? You'll know you're a pot plant Christian if, okay? Church is a take it or leave it deal. You know, some people it's like, well, if I go to church, yeah, well, that's cool. If if not, I'll have a great sleep in. Da da da. You're right, okay? If there's work to be done around the church, you can't be found. You can't find pot plant Christians when there's work to be done in the house. You know that? Right? There's something else to do. You know you're a pot plant Christian if you're too busy to complete the equipping track, you're not involved in a small group, or you're not involved in any area of ministry. If that describes you people, it's time to get out of that container and get planted in the house of God. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. All right. Now there's another type of Christian, okay? Another type of Christian, and these are transplant Christians. Okay, now transplant Christians are a different deal. How many of you have seen a plant that's been transplanted? 
All right, a friend bought some tomato plants around that had been brought, taken out of her garden recently and uh, uh, to be planted in our garden. A risky maneuver, okay? I tell you. All right. And you know what? They looked a bit tired. They were wilted and they were a bit sick looking. Now, some people are transplant Christians. They're in the house, but you know they've been moved through either uh, an offense or some sort of difficulty in another place, or they've had to relocate. Now, being a transplant Christian is not necessarily a bad deal, but this I know, okay, is that transplants require some extra care. You know those tomato seedlings that I've got? They need extra water, and they need me not to put them out in the hot sun, yeah? They need some extra care. If you're a transplant Christian, it's really important. Your survival, your survival in the church is really important. You need to do some things. First of all, you make yourself known. You come and talk to the pastors and say, hey, I've moved into this area and uh, I'm wanting to find a, a place to belong. Okay, make yourself known. The other thing is deal with the issues of offense quickly and properly from your last church. If there's issues of offense, deal with them quickly. Don't carry them on into this place. Okay, and the next thing is get involved as quickly as you can. Get involved, get planted as quickly as you can. Okay, so we've got the pot plant Christians, we've got the transplant Christians, and we've got the people who are planted. Okay, these are people who are fully committed to the local church. They're fully committed to the house. They've got buy-in. They're part of the deal. Okay, now you would know if you are a Christian who's planted in this place, if there is no way you would skip church on Sunday, you'd have to be dead in your bed to miss church. Yeah, you'd have to be taken to hospital in an ambulance or, or off down to the morgue in a hearse before you would stop or miss church on a Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Okay, that's planted in the house. Church is the important thing for you. Okay, you're either completing the equipping track or involved in a small group. You're serving in some way. That means that you're involved in a meeting team or helping make the church work. You're part of the deal. Another way you know that you're planted in the church and planted in the house is that you're giving regularly. Okay, giving regularly. You know, there's a great promise that goes with those who are planted in the house of the Lord. It says, they shall bear fruit in their old age. They shall bear fruit in their old age. And you know, I'm really tickled about this. Eh? You know, I, I, I hope they don't get offended. But do you know what? We send a group of nanas over to Uganda this year. Yeah. We send a group of nanas over, the, over to Uganda to preach the gospel, cast out demons, heal the sick. They had a blast. They didn't want to come back. You know, I think that's great. That's very good. You know, and if that's okay for a group of nanas to do that, how much more for you and I? Yeah, that's exciting. That's exciting. Dave's a granddad. He's not that old, but he's a granddad. He's fruitful in his maturity. All right. Now there's hope for you and I. If we can be fruitful in our old age, you know, I don't want to be playing bowls in retirement. No way. I don't want to be doing that. I surely don't want to be gardening in my old age, in my retirement. No way. All right. Okay. First key to a, a fruitful, productive life is you've got to be planted. That's a non-negotiable. Are you planted in the house this morning? Do you belong in this place this morning? Hallelujah. If you don't, today's a day to make a decision. This is where I belong.
All right, okay. Turn over in your Bible to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 17. This is the next key. Jeremiah chapter 17, and we're looking at verses 7 and 8. It's good to look up in your Bible, even if we get it on the screen behind us. It's great to look it up in your Bible as well. Okay, let me read to you, okay? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green. It will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. Look at this. If you want a productive life, you've got to develop some roots in your life. You've got to develop some spiritual roots in your life. How do you develop these things? How do you develop spiritual roots? Because let me tell you, although you don't see roots, they're really important. How important is root health in your trees, Brighton? Very important. You know, uh, the roots draw on the water and the nutrients. They, uh, they make the, the tree stable in storms. If you want to survive drought in your life, if you want to survive the storms in your life, you need a good set of spiritual roots. And it says right here, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. That's how you develop spiritual roots. Trust is to be secure, to be confident, to be bold and reliant on the strength, integrity, and the ability of another. When you trust in the Lord, you're reliant on Him alone. He is the one who will rescue you. He'll be the one who will get you out of the trouble. Okay, to hope in is to have a bold, positive expectation. A bold, positive expectation. This morning, do you have a bold, positive expectation of the Lord? Do you have a bold, positive expectation that God is going to do something great in your life? Oh yeah, come on. Because that determines the strength of your roots. Okay, the Bible tells us the the account of a king named Hezekiah. It says that Hezekiah had set his trust in the Lord, and you can read about Hezekiah in Second Kings, chapters eighteen and nineteen. I won't get you to turn there. I'll just read to you. But it says of Hezekiah that he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following Him, but kept His commandments. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria. At that time, the king of Assyria ruled that whole area. And Hezekiah said, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, no, not me." I'm not relying on him. I'm relying on God. Now, as you can imagine, King Hezekiah, uh, King, uh, uh, of the king of Assyria got pretty ticked about that. He was angry. He was wild. So he sent up his army to destroy Hezekiah and the people of Judah. They didn't have a hope of defending themselves. They couldn't do it. What did Hezekiah do? He had a huge problem, but he went to God and he prayed. And 2 Kings 19 and verse 19, it says, Now therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from the king of Assyria. Save us from his hand. That all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God. You are alone. When you've got a huge problem in your life, where do you go? Because that will show who you really rely and trust on. You see, Hezekiah did not go shopping with his credit card to deal with his stress. Eh? He didn't go out and have a shopping binge. Hezekiah did not go out to the bottle store 
to get a bit of liquid therapy. He didn't go out and get into a dodgy relationship. He wasn't going to rely on a person. He didn't go out and binge on chocolate chippies and lollies. Hey. You know what? For sure, he didn't go to the lotto outlet and he didn't go to the internet or the PlayStation. He went to God. Who do you go to when you've got a huge problem in your life? Who do you go to? You know what? God delivered, delivered Hezekiah supernaturally and powerfully because he had no option B. He had no option C or D. He went with God. It says in 2 Kings 19.35, it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed the camp of the Assyrians. 185,000 soldiers wiped out an army that was set to destroy Hezekiah and his people. Yet because one man said, no, my hope and my reliance is on God alone. That's, that's all there's no, problem, no, no option B or C here. And God stepped into his life. Let me tell you, people, when you make your reliance and your hope on God, you make room for a powerful miracle to happen. Do you believe that this morning? Someone shout amen. amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Okay. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. Spreads out their roots by the river. If you want a productive, healthy, strong life. You need to develop some spiritual roots by making Jesus Christ your only answer. All right? That's the second key to a productive life. Okay, let's have a look at another one. Okay, key number uh, three. Let me turn with you in your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel chapter 47. This is a fantastic vision here in verses 1 to 12. It describes the prophet Ezekiel's vision of the river of God as it comes out from the temple. You know what that river is? It brings a life. In Ezekiel 47 and verse 9, it says, Wherever the rivers go, they will live. The things that are there will live, for they will be healed. Everything will live where the river goes. What is that river? The river brings life. The river brings life, and it's a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, it's the Spirit that gives life. The third key to a productive life is yet we need our roots to be tapped into the river of God. We need to be tapped into the river of the Holy Spirit. Check out the, the trees on the side of the river in verse 12. It says, along the bank of the river, on this side and that, will grow all kinds of trees. Used for their food, their leaves will not wither, their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary, from the temple of God. Their fruit will be food and their leaves will be medicine. If you want a life that is fully productive, you need to be tapped into the Holy Ghost. How do you do that? First of all, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you haven't received the baptism, speaking in tongues, you need to receive that. Don't put it off. We'll pray for you. Your cell group leader will pray for you. I'll pray for you at the end of the service. But don't miss out. Don't miss out. I've got to tell you what a joy it was to see on Wednesday night, Amanda and Brett prayed for five of the, of the people who had just come to the Lord, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues, and it was good. Someone See, say amen. 
Hallelujah. It was great. You know what? When you get the Holy Ghost inside you, you draw on a new power, a new strength, a power and ability to make a powerful effect and impact in this life. You know what? We need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Ghost. Maybe you've already been filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit some years ago. But let me tell you, just because I had a drink yesterday doesn't mean that I don't need one today. I need a drink today. I need the Holy Ghost today. I got filled with the Holy Ghost 18 years ago. But every day I say, Holy Ghost, I need you. Every day I say, Holy Ghost, I pray that you fill me with your strength. You know, if the last time you had a drink was when you got filled with the Holy Ghost, I tell you, you're going to be a dead old dry stick. Yeah, you've got to believe that. You need a top up every day, daily. It says in uh, Ephesians 5 and verse 18, it says, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with wine. You'd think the Bible would just say, stop it there. Just, just don't be drunk with wine and alcohol, waste of time. But more than that, he goes on, instead of that, get filled with the Holy Spirit. Get filled, go on being filled. That's what the words are saying there in the original Greek. It's saying, not just a one-off, but a daily, every day, keep on going, keep on being filled with the Holy Ghost. Someone say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Go on being filled with the Holy Ghost. Spend time in His presence. All right, now this is my personal favorite, okay? Key number four. Key number four, we need to eliminate the weeds. Now, I'm a good Kiwi gardener. If it can't be fixed with a chainsaw or a roundup, it's not worth doing. Okay, so <laughs> I know a bit about weeds. I know a bit about weeds. Turn over in your Bible to Luke, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verses 11 to 14. I love Roundup. Yeah. I, I sprayed some Roundup around my garden. I got a wee bit close to some of my wife's trees. It was a sad day. She came, Kalinda came to me and said, Doug, the lemon tree's sick. I thought, uh-oh, it's the day of judgment. So I went out and she goes, what's the matter with it? I said, you're right, sweetheart, it's sick. She goes, yeah, I know, darling, it's sick, but what's it got? I said, it looks like it's got a bit of Monsanto disorder. She goes, what's that? I said, you don't need to know, this is really technical. She said, you got it with the weed killer, didn't you? Guilty. (laughs) Cannot lie. Okay, Luke, Luke 8 in verse 11 it says, now the parable is this, it talks about the parable of the sower. Parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. And those who have no root, who believe for a while, and in a time of temptation, they fall away. Now watch this one here in verse 14. It says, Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked, choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of life, bringing no fruit to maturity. They're choked with weeds. And there's three weeds here that will choke the life, your spiritual life out of you, choke your productivity and ensure 
that you don't bring any fruit to maturity. Now, just as a bit of trivia, you know what? There's something like about 423 common weeds in New Zealand. 423 common weeds. That's a lot of them, eh? Guess what? I've got 420 of them in my backyard. <laughs> Not allowed to use Roundup anymore. Okay. You know, I, I know some things about weeds. Okay. First of all, weeds grow without effort. How many of you planted only hunger weed in your, in your lawn? How many of you have got only hunger in your weed in your lawn? Uh, absolutely. All right. Weeds grow without taking any effort. They flourish in neglect. Okay, weeds will grow in your spiritual life when you neglect your spiritual life. You stop reading your Bible, I can guarantee there will be weeds growing in your life. You get lax about going to church, I can guarantee there's weeds growing in your life. Can't be bothered praying? For sure, there's going to be weeds there. Okay, now there's three weeds that, uh, that Jesus talks about. First of all, cares. Secondly, riches and then pleasures. Let's look at them. The first weed is worry, anxiety. Have you got things on your mind that are weighing you down and burdening you that you're thinking about that occupy your thoughts? You're meditating on them. They're stopping you from praying. You replay them in your mind. If your mind is filled with concerns, you can be sure that weed is going to choke the spiritual life and productivity out of you. Yeah? Worry is continually thinking or replaying or meditating on a problem. What does God say? He says, stop it. Just, just stop it. Give it to me. Stop those thoughts and give it to me. And 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, Casting all your care or your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. If you've got burdens and anxieties in your life, put them on Jesus and leave them there. You know what? Often we put them onto Jesus and we've still got a hold on them. And we're going where they're going. We're not letting them go. But when you put your burdens onto Jesus, your anxieties onto him, let him go. Let him go. It says, change your thinking. In Isaiah 26 and verse 3, it says, God, you will keep him in perfect peace. Perfect peace. Say perfect peace. Perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. He trusts in you. The weed killer, the roundup for cares and anxieties is give them all to the Lord. Give them away. The second weed is riches. The love of money will choke the life out of you. Does your job dominate your, your life? Does your occupation dominate you? Does the pursuit of wealth dominate your living so that you're too busy to serve God in any way? If it is, riches are choking your life. You not, might not be rich, but the pursuit of them, the demand of them will stop you from being fruitful. Now, you see, there's a paradox here, okay, with this. It says that riches will choke the, the life out of you. That doesn't mean that God wants us to be poor, because that's not true. Poverty is a curse. Poverty is a curse that Christ came to redeem us from. God takes delight in the prosperity of his servants. So it's not saying that God doesn't want us to prosper. He just wants us to keep it in the right perspective in our life. What is the right perspective? Genesis 12, 2, and uh, God's talking to Abraham. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. You shall be a blessing. That's the purpose of riches. 
that we would have, that we would give, that we would be a channel for the flow of God through our life, a channel of blessing for others. We need to keep riches in the right perspective, money in the right perspective. If you're too busy, if your work is too busy for you to be serving God in any dimension, you know, then you're too busy. It's a weed that's choking your life. You need to reorder your life. Okay, the third weed is pleasure. Pleasure. The pursuit of pleasure will choke your spiritual life. And you know what? This is a, we live in a, in, a la, in a world that's saturated by this whole thing where there's a demand for. Is your dancing, is your gym class, is your, uh, is your band or your mountain biking getting in the way of serving God? Okay? Is it getting in the way of small group attendance, getting, involved, getting in the way of, of things like that? You know what? It's too big. If your rugby is stopping you from being involved in church, you need to reorder your priorities. If your hunting's more important than God, you need to reorder your priorities because let me tell you, that's a weed that will choke the life out of you. Okay, how do you deal with this weed? Okay, in Hebrews 25, 26, it talks about Moses. Now Moses had every opportunity, every opportunity, every opportunity for, for riches and pleasure. But you know what it says about Moses? He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. And look at this. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. That's a sacrifice. You know, check this. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. You know what stopped the riches from choking the life out of Moses, he was looking at the reward of God. Keep your eyes on eternity. You know, if you're to overcome this weed, you've got to recognize that sin does have a pleasure, but it's temporary, and the end of it, it will bite, so, bite you so hard, you wish that you never went down that track. Okay, keep your eyes on eternity. Where are your eyes looking today? Where are your eyes looking today? Are you looking towards eternity? Or are you looking towards this life? What are you looking at? What occupies your vision? All right, last key to a productive life. Turn over in your Bible to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verses 1 to 2. John chapter 15, 1 to 2. You getting something out of this this morning? Oh yeah, okay. Key to a productive life. John 15, 1 to 2, Jesus says, I am the true vine... And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had a fair experience with pruning. And pruning is a pretty dramatic, uh, devastating uh, activity where you look at it and you think, Oh my word, what have I done? But let me tell you that trees are fantastic at producing leaves and wood. They're not so fantastic at producing fruit. They need pruning. If uh, the orchardists here did not prune their trees, they would not have great crops. You know, every time we go out and prune an apple tree every year, every year when you go out, you probably remove a third of the tree. Yeah? Have you seen the grapevines that, that grow out in, in, all amongst the, the plains of Hawke's Bay? You see them in the middle of summer and they're lush, they're green, and uh, there's leaves everywhere. You know what? You see them in the winter after the pruners have gone through 
And they've got two little measly canes going through. Everything else has been chopped back because the growers know that unless they prune, there is not going to be a great crop. And God wants us to have a great crop. That means he needs to do some pruning in our lives. And you know what? We need to submit to the pruning in our lives. Yeah? Pruning is about discipling. It's about shaping. It involves some short-term pain for some long-term gain. God wants to remove... In pruning, you know what? In pruning, you remove three things. You remove dead wood. There's things in our lives that are just dead. They need to be cut off. They don't serve any purpose at all, and they need to be removed. No pain in that. You know what? There's some diseased wood in our lives that needs to be cut off. If you don't remove that, you're going to be in big trouble. That's going to infect the rest of your life. You need to get rid of the diseased wood in your life. But there's also productive wood in your life that also needs to be removed so that you can prepare yourself for greater productivity. This is about discipline. In Hebrews 12, verses 7 to 11. Why don't you turn with me and follow me there, right? This is the last scripture we're going to turn to tonight, uh, this morning. Last scripture. You ready for it? Okay. As you endure this divine discipline, verse 7, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate and not really his child at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers, we should, okay? Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For if our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us. How many of you know it doesn't always feel good for us? Yeah, it doesn't always feel good. God's discipline No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be peaceful, a peaceful harvest of right living, a peaceful harvest. If you want a productive life, you need to submit to the pruningness of God. Now, sometimes God does this sovereignly. Sometimes God just steps into our life and does some adjustment or pruning in our lives. But you know what? Mostly, my experience has been, mostly he does it through people. Mostly he does it through people. Your cell group leader, your pastor, your team leader. And when these people speak into your life, will you submit to the prunings of God? Or will you turn back and slap them? Okay? (laughs) Don't slap your pastor. He doesn't deserve it. He loves you. All right? When Pastor Mike brings adjustment to your life, don't turn around and bite him. If Pastor Dave or Pastor Steve or Ali or myself bring some adjustment to your life, don't turn around and bite us. We're not doing it for our own sake. Trust me, life would be a whole lot easier for us if we didn't. But we care about you. So there'll be times when we say, you know what? I don't really think that's a great idea. Submit to it. You know, the best thing that I ever did was I submitted to a a, a significant adjustment of of Pastor Mike's. Best thing that I ever did. I had my heart set on one direction, and he said, I want you to go a different way. I said, I want to go this way. He goes, well, the choice is yours, but 
I'd really like you to go this way. And you know what? It was a struggle. In the end, I decided there's only one way for this. If I want peace, I've got to follow. <laughs> so I submitted to that pruning, to that leading. It was painful, but it was the best decision I ever made in my life. You know what? Make yourself open. If you're in a team serving, if you're not in a team serving, you should be, okay? Uh, but if you are in a team serving, make yourself open to the leader. Make yourself open to the pastor of that group, of that team. Say, you know, I want my life to be open. If you need to bring adjustment to my life, then I'm open to that. I'll receive that. You boys be happy with that? Pastor Dave, Pastor Steve, you'll be happy with that? I tell you, I'll be happy with that. All right, Pastor Cecilia, you'll be happy with that? You say, oh, God, bring it on. All right, guys, can I have the, the band this morning? We want a productive life. For sure, we do not want to be unproductive in life. If we're wanting to be productive in life, there's some things that we need to do. Some of you this morning, you've got to make a decision to get planted in the house of the Lord. Some of you have got to make the choice and say, this is where I belong. I'm not mucking around anymore. I'm going to put my roots down. No matter how long I've been here, this is where I belong. My roots are down. I'm not going to live in a container anymore. Okay? The next thing you've got to do is develop those spiritual roots. Put your trust in God. That'll come in times of tension. You need to tap into the flow of the Holy Ghost. If you haven't received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, then receive it. Come and let me pray for you this morning. Let us pray for you. If you haven't taken a drink of the Holy Ghost for some time, you've got to make a decision. It's been too long. I'm putting up my arms right now and surrendering to you, Holy Ghost. Come and fill me. You need to eliminate the weeds in your life. Put some Holy Ghost roundup on those things, eh? They need to go. They're going to choke your life out. You've got to deal with them. Eliminate them. Do not tolerate them. And then you've got to submit to the pruning. Make yourself open to the Spirit of God.